0: Americans, it's a really, really terrible, horrific, unexplainable time in our nation's history. It's really bad. And I worry, I worry not just for myself, because I'm the most important person, but there's a lot of important people here. It's important for people to understand that the next generations to come, Gen Z, if you will, Their lives are going to be ruined without the Donald in charge.
1: And it's not looking
0: promising. I came on here tonight to let everybody know about what actually happened, what's going to happen. Oh, my goodness. It's not looking good for me right now, ladies and gentlemen. No,
2: but we're having our show now.
0: We are having our show. And I think it's important that we bring in these two wonderful kids that I think understand the situation quite well. They are making America great again. Again. Without further ado, my wonderful young lads, CJ and Braden.
2: Yes, it's the Gen Z report. Thank you. Get yourselves
0: you. in It's the Trump report and we're calling it Gen Z just for tonight. Let's get them in here. They're great kids, really great.
2: Oh, for God's sake. Okay, you can go now.
0: As you're probably aware, I have been indicted for a completely ridiculous, unprovable crime of which I didn't commit. Stormy Daniels is a has been, wannabe. She wanted me. I didn't want her. She couldn't take no for an answer. So she made up this terrible story. And now, apparently, I'm in a lot of trouble. But believe me when I tell you, it's only temporary. (laughs) I will turn myself in like a good, honest citizen. Yeah, that's you. That is exactly what I am. It's going to, it'll be over with. All right.
2: We're going to move on now and talk about you behind your back.
0: Fair enough. You can talk about me, but just remember, I'm really special here. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a great citizen and we will make America great again. Again. Forever. Thank you. All right. It's
3: just terrible. Okay, so
2: go ahead, CJ. Guys, CJ's you're you're moderating. Go ahead, have at it. We got to get into this off the top.
3: Yeah. Uh, so the big breaking news uh, of today was that Trump has been indicted. Uh, again, the back uh, the backstory uh, for the situation is, is that there for this specific case, um, the specific crime has been within the 20, from the twenty sixteen uh, elections in the state of New York where uh, Trump had paid money to his lawyer to then pay money to Stormy Daniels uh, as hush money uh, to stop her from coming out with his story of what happened. The reason why this indictment is a felony and not a misdemeanor is under the guise of creating election fraud by keeping information from the public. Uh, Otherwise, this would probably be a two-year jail time, maximum misdemeanor offense. The fact that the president or a former president uh, has been indicted with anything and charged with a crime is something that has not happened uh, in modern U.S. history and is therefore of great significance. What will come of this uh, indictment and if there will actually be anything more than, say, uh, house arrests, or if there will be anything that would bar uh, election from running, uh, we'll yet to see. But that is what our current circumstances are. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit on feelings on that. Uh, as you can also see, it is uh, just me and Braden today. Uh, our hey, what
2: are we, Chop Liver? We're sitting here with you guys. You know, we're here. Of, we're present.
3: Of we're the of, of the uh, Gen Z uh, portion is uh, okay. just uh, Braden and I. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So we're going to have a little bit of a shorter uh, evening, but we still have a few topics that we're going to be talking about today. So after our Trump uh, indictment, we're going to be just having a reminder of the very, very important Wisconsin race. Uh, Then we're going to be talking about uh, gentrification and the effects on the housing market, which has put a lot of uh, housing dreams uh, out of our dreams. Uh, And then also talking about uh, potential uh, economic solutions to help alleviate uh, issues that are happening. But we will get more into details on that. Uh, Previously, we're going to be talking about labor. Uh, That is something that we are going to be pushing to next week. Yeah. So without further ado, Braden. hey, there's indictments. What's (laughs) going on? So I
1: actually did just get some more breaking info on this. The DA did a press conference. He said that this is not just about the Stormy Daniels hush money case. This is actually 30 separate indictments. All relate or 30 different charges in the same indictment, all related to business fraud. Um, the DA, Alvin Bragg, he did say that this is going to be a Supreme Court case. What needs to be determined is whether he met the United States Supreme Court or the New York State Supreme Court. But either way, one thing I have to say is that this is giving Trump a lot of what he wants. He's going to definitely get so much media time. This will be the top story for God knows how many weeks, if not months. Already his legal team, it looks like either they've been planning for this for a long time or they have a really good communication and PR team. They've put out multiple different PR statements. All of them are professionally written. They're not him just crying in all caps, stop bothering me. But either way, this I really don't see this hurting him in the long run. I see this helping him. And that's not just me being pessimistic. If we look at pretty much everything he's gone through, I mean, we did go through the same exact thing almost to a lesser scale in 2016 in the summer when he was being charged for Trump University. He was deposed. He had the whole court cases he had to settle. And we all know that did not stop him.
2: What do you think was- about it, CJ? I was like, what are your thoughts on it? I know like, the, from the justice perspective, but from the, you know, what this is going to amount to.
1: Yeah, so
3: I, I'll break this down for... um Two parts. One is on the playing politics side and the other is the justice side. The justice side is simpler. It's if you're committing crimes. uh, I think that one of the best ways that we could uh, try to at least claim that we are living in a just society is that no matter how powerful you are, no matter how much money that you have, uh, there will eventually be crime and justice being served. Uh, similarly, uh, to the Epstein case where there were many people that believed that there was no chance in him, uh, getting in prison and there was no chance that he was ever going to have justice. Uh, that was something where justice was served despite this amount of power and connections. Uh, and then of course it led to the threat of many powerful other people being revealed. Um, but the fact that justice did happen, I think was, uh, a positive mark on our judicial system. Uh, as far as the actual Trump case, I do also believe that, again, I hope that justice is served. Um, I hope that the appropriate crimes uh, are uh, prosecuted, and that there is a uh, reasonable sentencing, uh, as reasonable as you can with, uh, it's not, I don't think it's going to be like jail time in terms of a jail cell due to the complications with the Secret Service, but I do think that hopefully there should be something that will come from that Justice. So. politically uh i disagree with the notion that this is exactly what he wants uh in terms of the 2016 election and the uh fraud that he in in the cases that were levied against him um i would argue that that did negatively impact his campaign uh, and that he also did lose the election in terms of the popular vote by three million votes uh it, he was not a popular president even at the time he got elected he simply got elected by a margin in enough states uh, to be able to uh take the electoral college victory uh i think that the kind of damned if you don't uh, aspect of it is if you were to not part um if, if you're not to indict him and if you were to be stalling this uh even further uh closer to 2024 um then you would end up with uh, even greater amounts of issues uh, with, uh, hey, people have been saying I've been doing all these things, but if I'm actually guilty, why am they charged me with anything yet? It's because it's fraudulent. Um, I think that doing it now, I'm surprised that it wasn't done in 2021 or 2022. I'm surprised it's taken as long as it has, uh, but I am definitely in the better late than never. And I do know that there's been a lot of you know, cases within various Supreme courts um, of every single part being solved. So I, I, I am absolutely, uh, a fan of this. I think that ultimately this will, uh, hurt his campaign and yes, it will be media attention. Yes, it will be in the news cycle, but I don't think that it is something that is going to be a net positive, uh, for him because everyone knows of Trump. There is not a person that doesn't know of Trump that is remotely politically active. Um, so I, th- I think that, and there are a lot of, a lot of opinions about him. So I think that, again, having justice can cause some sort of beneficial efforts. What do you think?
0: I think he's, um,
4: only in trouble because I think he may have met his political match and Ron DeSantis, who I think is now just itching to get into the race. Uh, I think in some ways, you know, it's like when you're trying to take down a big fish, you know, you wanna to try to f- see what you can make stick to the wall. I personally think that the one crime that Trump should have been prosecuted for was his violation of the Emoluments Clause while he was president, basically using the presidential office to enrich his family, uh, particularly with what he was doing with the Saudi royal family. The problem is, is that basically every president does that. So if you're going to go after a real, consequential violation of the law. Not to say that, you know, obviously paying hush money by laws and break isn't, a, you know, it's a it's a federal offense. But at the same time, we're talking about, you know, what's really having a direct impact on the American citizenry and violating the Emoluments Clause, uh, basically having his son-in-law be a proxy for him to the tune of billions of dollars with the Saudi royal family.
2: But we're, let's is, focus on this. Like yeah. we're focusing it's on this. Like, I'm not list, convinced
4: then. that this is going to hurt him politically, I think it's, I, I, I'm i not convinced that it's gonna turn him into a martyr either. So no. I'm not really sure where it's gonna land. I, I think- There's a lot
2: of months between now and when there's an election and that's the other thing. Let's put it this way. Time Anybody is interesting how people remember things. That's true. Anybody yeah.
4: who's a hardened Trump supporter, he's not gonna lose them as a result of this. Like that's not, that's not happening. But do I think it's possible that somebody like DeSantis can really start to pick off some people? Yeah, I do. I think he could do that. And it'll be interesting to see how that race unfolds. Uh, but in terms of trust in the justice system, all I can say is, and all we said today on social media, let this set the precedent that for all of the ghouls that are out there, whether it's the federally elected officials, the corporate oligarchs that have been breaking the law left and right forever and ever, that now their heads are on the chopping block. That would be nice. That's That would be the ultimate, you know, conclusion to this indictment is not necessarily that anything of significance may happen to trump but will this set the precedent for everybody else because you see a lot of people doing their little happy dances all the while i'm thinking yeah Yeah, you're celebrating people that (laughs) you know probably need to be indicted as
2: well yeah yep so what else what else do we have on that where were we going next with this
3: So Bryn, do you have anything, because we've let you open up, do you have any kind of points? Because your and I's uh, opinion on this is definitely
1: uh, inverse. I want to clarify that. I wasn't saying that I don't think this indictment should happen. Um, Like you said, justice is justice, no matter who it is, no matter what time, no matter what circumstances. So I am happy that that's happening. I'm just saying that with Trump, The man is smarter than we give him credit for because he knows how to turn any scandal into such an amazing opportunity for him. And one thought that I had, he's really gonna be helped out with evangelical voters because if you look at the statements that he's putting out, he's almost positioning himself to be like Jesus. He's talking about how he's this great victim. He's taking this attack for the whole movement. Um, he's been conversing with the January 6th prisoners, people who raided the Capitol and as a result have been sentenced. He is He knows what he's doing, just like when he did the Waco rally. Obviously, what do we know Waco for? People standing up against the government, even though that was not for good reason at all. So if his messaging on this stays consistent, I'm happy he's indicted, but I don't know that it will actually hurt him. Other than with the few handful of people loud to our true moderates down the line.
3: Okay. Uh, I, I would say that you basically, uh, to, to my knowledge in terms of federal standing, that there's not necessarily a stance on, hey, here's moderation, uh, especially with other topics, but those are for topics in the other weeks. So for that, uh, wrapping up, we're, again, for on the topic of Supreme Court's Uh, We have, again, the reminder that this week is the final week to be voting in the Wisconsin election. Uh, If you are in Wisconsin, you probably are already very aware of the election that is happening, the judicial election. Uh, But this, again, reminder for if you know of anyone in Wisconsin and you just want to give them a call, give them a text, reach out, say, hey, please, have you voted yet? Don't push it to the last day, which is April 1st. You can vote early don't push it to the last day, get it done now. Um, this is an election that will determine, again, not only uh, the rights of healthcare and whether or not you have access to abortion in Wisconsin, uh, but also uh, whether or not uh, Wisconsin is allowed to be a democracy. Uh, because for the last decade, you have had, due to massive amounts of gerrymandering, uh, the state legislature has not been able to allow a uh, democrat uh, majority uh, despite having multiple election cycles where they have voted for uh, democrats uh, on statewide elections so if you want your state to be something that resembles a democracy the supreme court is a major major part uh, there's also another aspect of that which comes to uh, talking about the supreme court and they're coming in for other elections uh, but again, that's another topic for another how does
2: this affect you, Braden? I mean, look, because we're talking about people in Wisconsin. Braden's yeah. in Wisconsin. So, yep. you know, this is this is stuff that's directly impacting you. So, like, what do you see going on there with this?
1: Well, before I start, I do want to say, as she said, I am from Wisconsin. So if any of my Wisconsin friends are watching this and you do not vote, just know I will find out. And yes, I will beat you up. And that is a threat. <laughs> um, but. Gerrymandering probably is the biggest issue facing Wisconsin right now, like CJ said. The difference in terms of votes to seats is about 20 percent. So for the past few election cycles, what you typically see is that Democratic, state, Supreme State, Senate and state assembly candidates win around 60 percent of the vote, but only take around 40 percent of the seats. It's a famous I guess, joke almost in Wisconsin, that no matter what, if there's a Democratic governor, they can't do anything because the Republican legislator will just block it. That's what they've done. We're in a never-ending cycle of the governor will do something, the legislator will stop it, the legislator will do something, and the governor will veto it. Um, This race, the key issue for it, though, has been abortion access rights. That's pretty much what every single TV commercial, what every advertisement focuses on. Daniel Smelly Kelly, as we call him, is the anti-abortion candidate, and Janet Protasiewicz. She tends to be more of the women's rights, women's body, women's autonomy candidate. Um, this it has definitely been the single most important state supreme court election we've seen in a long time, and Wisconsin has seen a lot of them in recent years. It's the one that's getting the most attention. I just found out a few hours ago that Sunday night I'm going to meet the Democratic Align candidate, Janet Protisiewicz. So I was saying to my friends, it feels like this is the Wisconsin version of meeting a Kardashian because she's literally everywhere. But there is, it's a very good sign, so much involvement among youth voters like myself. I've had a lot of people, because I'm kind of known as a political one, asking me how they can vote, how easy it is to do it. I have people that I'm taking with me to the polls. So I do have a lot of optimism for this race. And that's something that I have not had about anything Wisconsin-related for a very long time. And how can you vote? Yeah, how can you vote? So I'm glad you asked that. If you are in Wisconsin, early voting has started. It is an extremely easy process. I've done it many times. You simply go to your polling place. Well, for early voting, you go to your local city hall walk up to the clerk's office and just say, I'd like to early vote. It's as simple as that. They'll check your ID. They'll make sure you're registered and then you can cast your vote right then and there. Um, You can also, I know we like to avoid it, but you can go to the polls on election day, the traditional way, because this is a state Supreme court election. There will not be as long wait times since this isn't necessarily as big as presidential or governor or Senate races. So if you can vote, I just want to say absolutely do it. It's going to be so much easier than you think. Um, there are a lot of resources online where you can find out your nearest polling place. Just literally Google, where is my nearest polling place? You can pull up um, how long wait times are for the different places. There are all the resources you need.
2: I just had this, this question just out of just curiosity. When you're out there and you're looking at the people that are coming out for, um, I'm not going to attempt to say her name. Um, the young people that are really showing up in numbers to to stand up for this. What are there young people that are also coming out on the other side? Like how, how many what do you see demographically as to who's coming out, obviously, in support of the smelly guy?
1: Yeah. So basically, a lot of Janet Protasewicz. she actually did a whole TV ad about how it's hard to say her name, but you should still vote for her. A lot of her support is coming from the youth base. Pretty much her two groups are youth and women voters. As far as Daniel Kelly goes, he really is only getting support from older voters, um, at best middle-aged, usually all suburban voters. There really is practically no youth support for him. Um, I'm at a college campus right now. A lot of people could easily name Jenna Protasewicz. We have a lot of people canvassing for her. Our sidewalks have been filled with people handing out flyers for her, but other than a single table one time, I haven't seen any of that for Daniel Kelly, and I have not heard any people my age bragging about how they're going to vote for him. Good.
2: Good. I mean, that's what I would expect, so I'm I'm just glad to hear that there's not, like, some new rash of, like, young people that are coming out like Alex P. Keaton and, like— uh, Voting for the right
4: winger. I think it's also different because of the fact that, you know, Ron Johnson was as has been a U.S. senator and, you know, an elected official Uh. in Wisconsin for a long time, even though. You know, of all the statewide uh, elections that were going on in the country, we thought Mandela Barnes's race was as important as anyone and the fact that yep. he lost by such a razor thin margin. And I think the same is true for your governor, even though you know he's a Democrat, he's also very well known. And I think that that familiarity is a really common thing. I don't know if the same could be said for Judge Kelly and if that'll have the same type of impact but I definitely think the fact that there is still this issue of abortion that has been put front and center, which is important. And also the fact that they could redraw the maps in Wisconsin. Wisconsin yeah. is probably three or four of the worst states in the country when it comes to electoral map, um, you know, uh, gerrymandering. district, district uh, gerrymandering. Um, you know, it's it's probably three of the four states are or, or GOP that are like that. You know, you've got, You know, some Democratic states, obviously, that do the same thing. But Wisconsin is as egregious in many ways as Ohio is. And not to say that they wouldn't be states that wouldn't necessarily be swing or even lean red, for that matter. But based on the way that the maps have been drawn in Wisconsin, it's like the Democrats would need to get a super majority of votes in order to flip the map. And that doesn't make any sense. Because it is a real even Steven kind well, of well,
2: but hopefully, but when you're talking about a statewide race, this shouldn't matter.
4: That's true, yeah. but considering the way the maps are drawn in the state legislature and the federal legislature, this victory for, for I, I I had it for a second, Janet, Janet, for Janet, uh, Just Judge Janet, Judge Judy, yeah, that this would be a very significant victory in terms of. You know, being able to have fair drawn, uh, you know, states.
3: Yeah, it would be a step l- uh, yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, just on your note of um, uh, Democrats also doing it too a little bit, uh, one, you of course had the New York Supreme Court that tossed out their uh, attempt of gerrymandering to counter gerrymand other states. And your most, uh, your top 10 uh, uh, gerrymandered states are Arkansas, Kentucky, Louisiana. Maryland, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia.
4: So it definitely breaks for the GOP, no question about it. But the bottom line is anytime you have states that have an opportunity to basically write the maps in their favor, more often than not, they're going to do it. I mean, New York was attempting to do it in such an absolutely absurd way. Pigs like, get
2: fat, hogs get slaughtered. Yeah,
4: so, it, you know, you try to make the you try, 23 to 3 was the split that New York was going for. And even then they were like, yeah, we can't do this. But you know what? Ohio's maps are just as bad. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, if you're going to cut them off one way, you got
3: to cut them all off. So, I mean, the the way that you counter gerrymandering is, of course, having a independent uh, redistrictor, uh, which has been happening. That has been uh, very popular amongst uh, Democrat states. uh, And that's how you start to have imbalances within the House. Of course, you also have the capping of the House. uh, but
4: The state uh, that's the best example without question is Michigan you know, Michigan used an independent arbiter to draw the maps. And I think it, it became like a plus one uh, Democrat, but the maps were extremely fairly drawn and they and it was an independent, uh, you know, arbiter that did that. It wasn't, yeah. you know, favoring one way or the other. And that's the way it should be done yeah. in every state.
3: Correct. Um, yeah. So, uh, but again, that, uh, on the topic of this is a very important election for you know, young people. Uh, we're also going to be talking about another uh, major issue that is affecting uh, young people specifically, uh, not as much on the political side, but for the day-to-day economics of the, you know, why why is, you know, certain laws important if they can get passed and if they cannot? Well, if you're not having a state that is democratically elected by the people, then it's a lot harder for the people to have a voice. I mean, there's a lot harder to talk about things such as gentrification. So Brayden, you had a topic and discussion on that. Uh, what is it? How does it affect
2: us? You want us? me to pull it up? You want me to pull up that, that headline? Is that right. okay?
1: So for those of you who do not know, gentrification, that is the process where an affordable housing, usually in areas that tend to be kind of low income, but have suddenly become trendy, that affordable housing gets bought by developers, usually very greedy developers, It's torn down and replaced with luxury housing that most people cannot afford in the slightest. So it displaces a lot of low-income and even middle-income people, and it replaces them with just a small handful of very high-income people. So this is one of the main things that's driving the housing cost crisis. As we all know, housing costs are completely out of control right now. Our generation, chances are very few of us will be able to actually afford houses if something like a housing crash does not happen, which God forbid, obviously that would be bad, but housing is, it's skyrocketed over the past few years. There is no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way around it. There's no way to make it better. I, for one, think that I'll probably be staying in an apartment or a condo for much of my life, and it's not like I'm choosing a career that's low-paying. But one of the key causes of this, like I was going back to, is gentrification. So this has been dominating local races, local elections and government. As you can see, there is a headline about the Denver City Council race, where right now gentrification and affordable housing is the issue. If you want to be elected, you talk about it. If you don't want to be elected, you don't talk about it. Um, This is happening all over the country. Nobody is safe. So, for example, I have a deep connection to the city of San Antonio. I have family there. I go down there all the time. When I was last down there, I was in an Uber, and I was talking to the Uber driver about cost of living there because, you know, San Antonio is a nice city. We don't get warm weather in Wisconsin. I kind of like that. And he was telling me that for the longest time, up until around 2015, 2016, he was in a nice part of town, really close to downtown, paid $600 a month for a one-bedroom apartment. Pretty good. His area started becoming really trendy. Now, all of a sudden, less than three years later, he's paying $1,500 for that same apartment. He moves. He goes to different areas. Same thing happens. Moves again. Same things happens again. And it keeps happening. So, All of our cities soon will be gentrified unless action is taken. That is where we go to local government because there are actions that they can take. So putting restrictions on the raising of rent, um, determining who can actually buy buildings and making sure people don't tear down affordable housing with the intent just to replace it with very high income housing. But CJ, I wanna get your thoughts on this because I know you had an economic model you wanted to apply to this Mm -hmm. and that you can provide an economic mindset and perspective.
3: Sure. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, again, uh, as a background to new viewers, I am some, I, I got a degree in both uh, finance and economics, uh, BA, not BS. Um, but uh, the, the, the main point is uh, applied versus.
2: I understand, uh, but it just sounded funny.
3: Yeah. Uh, I, so, the main part of gentrification, I would say that. You, you know, your description of greedy landlords, it's like, yes, there are a lot of people that are coming in and they're looking at development, uh, specific, specifically like REITs or real estate investment trusts, where their goal is to make as much money as possible. This is something that is directly baked into our economic systems. This is something that we are using in, uh, you know, financial planning. If you're, hey, I should be investing in this, this, and this, uh, you know, you would expect the REIT to be trying to, again, make as much money as possible, given the value that they see. So when you're looking at these issues and the harm that it does, it's then, okay, what is the solution to it and where are our incentive structures? Uh, the incentive structure is, again, to make as much money as you can. Uh, but I wouldn't say that that's, again, greed, that's just as uh, our incentive structures are specifically set up. So things that could be done, uh, about it is, uh, you could one have, uh, there's a lot of, uh, speculation of land, uh, in various different areas where you'll have buyers that come in and they'll buy properties again, like you said, for tear down. Um, and then they'll sit on the land and because it's uh, land it will be tax cheaper and they'll wait for that land value to rise. And then they'll either build something on top of it eventually, or they'll sell that land, uh, as a speculative price, and make good of money there. We do not want that because that land that's just sitting there uh, is something that is not creating any sort of economic value for anyone, uh, be it housing or otherwise. Um, So what you could do to try to alleviate that, uh, and this is something that I believe Colorado actually has been attempting to implement, I'm not sure if it has been implemented. But a mixed level of you have your property tax in terms of how much value is the property worth. Uh, But you could also create what's known as land value tax, uh, which would be taking the average cost of surrounding properties uh, and seeing what they're going for and applying a tax similar to that surrounding level of other properties uh, and say, hey, either build something and start making money or sub land and sell it to someone who will build something there. And that would hopefully be able to spark a little bit more development. Uh, As far as uh, pushing lower income households out, uh, the main thing that you want to be looking at is your zoning laws, uh, specifically seeing if there are areas that are for high density versus low density uh, zoning, uh, as well as just where you can put uh, commercial uh, versus residential districts. Uh, A lot of zoning uh, and suburbs, sorry, a lot of suburbs have been Created due to zoning laws in terms of limiting where you can and cannot put locations, which then has also uh, created the car culture that America is very known for, where in order to go to the grocery store, it is something of a 15-minute drive to get out of your suburban cul-de-sac all the way out uh, to the uh, grocery store, go grab it, and then come back. And you need a car, that's not something that's walkable. By allowing for looser zoning restrictions, obviously you don't want to be putting a factory right next to a schoolyard. Uh, And there's still things that can be done that other countries are able to do a lot better, which is saying, hey, specific industries or specific parts you do put in these areas. But for commercial and uh, residential zoning, if you were to allow that to mix, you could at least have over the long run a much better mix of walkable cities, which then also is a lot less cost to low-income households. Uh, as far, But as far as trying to outright limit, hey, you cannot be building this amount, that's not something that's necessarily feasible. So that is kind of the, uh, for my understanding of economics, uh, that is kind of the diagnosis uh, of the problem I have. And then I can go into a little bit more, sorry, the diagnosis and solutions for the problem Uh, But I can also go more into how it affects us and the uh, effects that it has uh, on youth as well. Uh, Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I think we also need to touch on what the cause of this is just like unfettered greed, right? Like that, that's what we're dealing with. And I think there's ways that, that you can have policies, um, which I mean, yeah, it's incentives, but and there are similar things in play. Like, for example, if a developer wants to build this, they also have to make sure that they do this, this and this and this and create um, whatever certain amount of less expensive housing or make sure that you have the right resources and the right infrastructure in place, but so many times they don't do it. We had that down here in Weston years and years ago and the developers paid off whoever they paid off and they never put in the appropriate infrastructure and lo and behold, 10 years down the road, you have classes of kids that don't have the right amount of high school space. And so they started having to like encroach on other municipalities and pushing everybody East. Like it was such a pain. So my point is there's ways when you have developing to force Basically, um, them to uh, take into account that not everything has to be profit and communities have to ha- allow for people that are not wealthy to exist in them.
3: Yeah. And then you know and what that's I mean? like, there's ways to planning do thing. It. But yeah. yes, my, my point with that is that you, uh, of the zoning laws that do exist, uh, what they have caused is hey, you can only build this amount of houses in a certain area. There are zoning laws. That say this area is for single family houses. No, you cannot put an apartment complex here. No, you cannot build these structures here. And that level of restriction uh, is something that if I am someone where I'm a business, and it is my goal to make the most amount of money because that is what the incentive structure is. That is what my job is. And the, again, not my specific job, but my job in general. Right. To expect them to sabotage themselves is not something that is reasonable. What you can instead do is you could allow for, again, mixed zoning in terms of allowing uh, higher density buildings to be more plentiful. Because then I don't need to squeeze as much as I can out of, let's say, just one acre oh, I'm only allowed to have one home on this one acre. Okay, maybe I can split it to half an acre or something like that. But, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to build the best house I can to charge the most amount of rent, to charge the most amount. And that is a different situation where, oh, I have an acre and I can put in 50 50 apartment complexes. Not apartment complexes, but 50 apartments in this. Then I'm able to get – charge a lot less.
2: Well, you could, and or you could just have multi-million dollar condos and still only have wealthy people. But here, somebody has a question for you, CJ. Sure. Do you see it? Yeah. It says, and I quote, CJ, could you also speak on an excess of apartment buildings everywhere, but lack in building different styles of houses, as opposed to huge three hundred dollars to $450,000 single family homes?
3: Sure. So... I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to reread this question to understand what I'm saying. Uh, it's the access of apartment buildings everywhere.
2: You mean elect- rental? I mean, are they, talking about, are, are they talking about apartments versus condos? No, I think like what rentals he's talking about, owned- I mean,
4: I'm in real estate, so I, I think what he's alluding to is this idea that, you know, there's not a lot of options in terms of, let's say, townhomes or Quite frankly, you know, tiny homes have become a real popular option, uh, these communities that are being built in various places where- Right. I
2: guess they're saying the option know. is either units or yeah. $400,000 homes. Like why have aren't there- an opportunity
4: there? to have a tiny home that's, let's say, 700 or 800 square feet, and you could get it for maybe forty or $50,000 versus having to get something that's in that- 300000 to $450,000 range, which for yes. most people is not obtainable.
2: But I think that that comes down to somebody who, let's say you rezone this lot. You, you, have, you have some acreage and you rezone it so that you could do a bunch of tiny homes instead of one big home. You could do that. Um, is that necessarily going to be the most uh, financially profitable thing that somebody would be incentivized to do it just because you could? That's what I'm wondering.
3: Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I would like to clarify that I'm not uh, someone who's an expert in oh I know uh, zoning but I know but uh, yes
2: yeah, CJ's not giving expert home investing advice people this is not what yeah. we're talking about um,
3: but 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 to to the point of yes so I, from from our perspective and to try to bring the Gen Z perspective uh, into this case is it's like yes I for my first unit that I plan on purchasing uh, I I'm currently uh, staying with my parents but. I, I do not have any ideas of getting into a home. I plan on attempting to purchase for my first property uh, something along the lines of a condo uh, or a smaller space where if I can get a one bedroom, ideally, uh, so not well, not ideally, but a 2 two bedroom to one bedroom condo and just be able to exist and live off of that, be able to have the money for it. Uh, then yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely going to be uh, attempting to do that because you're going to also be seeing this raise uh, in property and part of the, in, in property value. And part of what makes uh, housing so unattainable for our generations is the land value just keeps going up and up and up and up. So on, on the, the point of like, oh, why are there not, you know, $200,000 house, a $300,000 house? They do exist, But the areas that they exist in are not in areas that are good for commuting. They're not in areas (laughs) that are necessarily as safe. They're in areas that do not have as access to certain utilities. And you can definitely get places that are on the outskirts of that price. But because that inherent land value, where the location actually is, Uh, is so highly valued, Uh, that I think is where your major uh, complexities go. As far as the uh, amount of excess empty apartments and other spaces, I am not uh, familiar enough to answer that question. Uh, But Brandon, hey. Back to you. Um,
2: yeah, Do you think you're ever going to... Well, and you're a few years out from this because let's clarify. I mean, you know, you're you're still in school. Yeah. So, but, so you're looking on the horizon of, okay, I'm going to graduate in a couple of years. I need to be able to support myself. And am I ever going to be able to afford to have housing?
1: Well, I know that I will because obviously the generational change podcast is going to take off and we're all going to be super rich along with it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I will say... I'm in kind of a better circumstance because I know myself and I know my personal taste. I don't intend on moving to the suburbs. I don't need a house. I'd rather have an apartment in the city. But one thing I want to go back to was how you brought up how America has a car culture and that's contributing to how unaffordable everything is now, because pretty much you have your suburbs where the houses are, and then you have your area with the shops and your little industrial area and there's no mixing which could make real estate cheaper. I was actually reading a book recently called The Geography of Nowhere. I first got into it because yes, I heard Julia Fox talk about it on her TikTok account. But what happened was way back in the day when urban sprawl first started after World War II, car companies and oil companies would actually bribe local government officials to make it so that everything had to be spread out. So no matter what, you'd have to buy a car. And that's why we don't see anything that's European style, where we have smaller towns, more village-centric, where everything's located around each other. Europe, really, much of it does not have the housing crisis that we have right now, because they have the tried and true method for zoning that they've been developing for hundreds of years. Now, other more recent countries like Australia and New Zealand, because I was looking at moving to those countries just to get away from all the crazy. They have the same problem because they adopted the same US style we did, which is to separate everything apart from each other and not have any mixing. So I think that for the future, if we do want to bring down real estate costs, we need to start over. We need to build new towns and we need to build them in sustainable ways that will make it so that you can live in a place where it's nicer and have it be affordable. Now, I also want to say that Really, I think we might have a housing crash soon. And for starters, I'm not an economist. I'm not a realtor. It's not my department. But we're getting to an area where the majority of people cannot buy homes. At most, they can rent them. And my thought is, what's going to happen? Because there's no sign of this slowing down. If everyone cannot buy any houses, nothing gets sold. And then it's seeming like something drastic will happen, even if it's not a full-on crash.
2: That's a valid point. I mean, that's a good, uh, yeah, if, if nobody can afford to buy houses, then what happens? I mean, you you. I'm, I'm telling you, we're ending up with like these indentured servitude surf class that are going to be like, like indentured servitudes living for their room and board. That's like, the intent.
3: To clarify, the United Kingdom is also going through a uh, housing crisis. Uh, Canada has a worse housing crisis than the United States. It's not just a United States issue. And also, like you said, Australia and New Zealand, I'm not as familiar with their uh, housing markets. Uh, but this is definitely something that has been affecting our generation worldwide. Um, again, another part of the, the housing prices going up is that housing prices, uh, sorry, House, houses tend to be the largest single investment that any household makes. Uh, it is their biggest asset, and it is the governments are very highly incentivized to keep housing prices going up and up and up. Uh, that's good if you own a house because you are able to have appreciation on your asset, and you are able to then go from that you know hundred thousand dollar house into that four hundred thousand dollar house into that six hundred thousand dollar house over the course of you know many many years because part of that is you saving up your income and paying down your mortgage but the other part of that is your uh housing prices going up the issue is is that part of that process of that hundred thousand dollar house is now two hundred thousand dollars and wages have only gone up you know inflation has only gone up to where it would be worth you know one hundred and eighty thousand dollars after inflation we'll just say um that this process is then only subsidized by new developments Now, those new developments are great for then being able to have that new $100,000 house to start the cycle over. But again, you get larger and larger and larger cities and more and more uh, density. And we are having a uh, stabilization within our populations. We are having a stabilization uh, to where we do have enough housing. But people don't want to have their house that they bought for $600,000 only be worth $700,000 after owning it for five years, because it should be at $800,000, something like that. And people are then willing to hold on to their house. Uh, you also saw, uh, specifically within 2020, a with interest rates being as low as they were, a major, major amount of purchasing of the housing market. Uh, and right now, you have a lot of slowdowns because the interest rates are at 7 and 8%. So it is very, very difficult to buy a house now uh, because the amount of interest that you'd be paying on your mortgage, uh, you can now afford to have much smaller uh Properties of houses, but if you are someone that has a lot of cash on hand or are able to sell your house and then have that cash on hand, uh, then you're in a good position to also continue to buy, which then allows itself to go to more and more REITs. uh As far as um, uh, as as far as again the solutions would you
2: this... type it in? Yep.
3: yep. Uh, as, as far as solutions. New housing development will always be great. But the other part would be simply saying, hey, we're not going to be able to perpetually have the uh, prices of houses increase uh, and to stop voting for policies that are going to increase those rates. Uh, but the amount of people that are voting that do own houses and want those to go up and get very, very upset with the current government, if it doesn't go up, uh, it's basically financial, not sorry, it's political disaster uh, to allow for... Housing prices go down, which again also negatively impacts us, unless we're then able to inherit our own properties.
2: Yeah, which is is not that is not most people's futures, unfortunately, is not inheriting anything nowadays. It's not the common, we were talking about that a little bit, like the whole concept of generational wealth is different. But um, and and the one thing that I was thinking about with 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 all this when we're talking about the housing is exactly what Braden was talking about, because we often talk about the concept of having smaller, more sustainable communities. We talk about sustainable regenerative agriculture. We talk like, this is something that to me in order to, what's gonna eventually be forced on us is that, because that's the only way we're ever gonna start really surviving when we start running out of energy. I mean, people can talk about all the AI and all that, but the industrialization is finite. It's finite. Um, and so there are certain things that I think are just not going to happen. And smaller sustainable communities is a huge part of like what I see the future, but I never necessarily equated it to yes, well, that would make housing more affordable for everybody.
3: Uh, do you have something on it being finite because technology in terms of economic models tend to be a pretty pivotal part. We are definitely about,
2: now I'm talking about resources for energy, right? Like you, you can keep mining and drilling and, and, and poisoning the ocean and doing all these things. But eventually the, when the chickens come home to roost, it's just not going to keep working forever. Like it, it, it's just not, it, 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 there's a finite, there's finite resources. It doesn't just keep going on and on and on. Well,
3: well, that, well that's why we have uh, renewables. Uh, for instance, I always forget if it's Sweden or Switzerland. I'm pretty sure it's Sweden. Uh, was able to have a quarter of their uh, power grid, uh, as in 23% in uh, January and 26% in uh, February was exclusively, uh, what, what was entirely done uh, with wind energy. And it okay, is So here, is I'm going to recommend
2: better. a book and you have to read this, okay? It's called Bright Green Lies. And we just had the authors on a couple of weeks ago. And the problem is, is that first of all, what they're putting out as numbers is not actual measure. It's You have to read this book. And actually, I did it audi- audible. It would have been better to see it because there's a lot of numbers that they give in terms of all this stuff. But the reality is all of those renewable energy things Require energy to create. So, in other Correct. words, when you're talking about wind turbines and the energy to run them, and clearing the land and the deforestation and all of this, and what you end up with as a result in terms of the actual energy, it will not be able to compete with what we have as industrialization right now. I there mean, is not enough awesome with,
3: pivot into nuclear, but it's
4: well, awesome and that
2: and that also has. Many, many not, downfalls.
4: Th- it is. No, it's but not. Again, I'm, I'm getting tired of people saying what they say about nuclear because they're really naive. No, no, no. I'm
2: okay. I, yeah. I don't have a problem. With it. I'm yeah. talking about it from a the up perspective. The only way we're of... getting
4: off of coal and natural gas, which are the two most detrimental energy extractions that we utilize on this planet, especially hydraulic fracturing for natural gas, is nuclear power. It's that true. is it. And yeah. being able to accept the fact that every energy source comes with a risk but series four nuclear has a way of replenishing its nuclear waste, which is a huge problem, is ultimately the future. And it's part of the reason why it gets pushed back as hard as it does. Uh, everyone knows that when it comes to coal and natural gas, there's much more profit involved in it than there is a nuclear. It always comes down to money. It always comes down to power.
3: Yeah, and we and we can have a energy uh podcast again. I'm trying to mm-hmm. keep it to the judge. Yeah,
2: we're staying on focus. We gotta stay on topic. Sorry. So we, ta- we we get oh, off. Go ahead. Keep that's why that's why we're not we're trying to get to where we're not here. That's the goal. Yeah, we need enough people. all right. Keep going, CJ.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I I don't have uh much else to say other than like, yes, we are currently in a place where our incentive structures are uh you know stacked in such a way that you're supposed to have properties that are constantly going up. That process of property values constantly going up makes it very hard to obtain unless there are new housing developments. Uh, And that news housing developments can only go for so long. And the news housing developments are more profitable if you're able to sell for higher prices. And so those are the things being prioritized. And so the best way to try to combat that is again, trying to combat zoning laws, legislatively. Um, But uh, other than that there's not uh, as much that we can do other than trying to do what we can to save I can say of the people that are around me um, who they are planning to try to attempt to buy their first home in their 30s which is later uh, and then of course there is the delays with um, paying off student loans first or trying to pay off student loans at the same time of that if uh, you know there were to be help from that that would go a long ways in being able to Put money toward a house. We'll see how that goes. Not holding out hope, but still, again, trying to identify the problem and seeing what we can do.
2: Cool. Yeah, so. we've had issues with that with dirtbag. Who cares? Is.
3: Don't even bring it up. Okay. Uh, Brandon, do you have any uh, closing thoughts before we uh, wrap up today's podcast?
1: Just that uh, there are a lot of issues facing America right now. Obviously, there's no way around it. But for all the issues that we talked about today, there are solutions. We talked about potential solutions for the energy crisis. We talked about potential solutions for the housing crisis. Trump, he's a little too unpredictable, can't really give a solution to him. (laughs) But for everyone our generation, I say just keep the hope. Things will move slowly, but eventually if we keep the passion, things will get better. Sorry. I know that was really philosophical. No,
2: it was. And it was, but it was, it's true. And I think it's, it's right. And, um, Somebody in the chat is talking about the Assange rally, and that is something that I do want to at some point get into with with you guys and your generation, like the whole First Amendment thing. So let's quickly, if we're done, let's wrap and brainstorm what we want to do next week. And that's sort of like you know, yeah.
3: So 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 next week uh, again, this week was originally supposed to be uh, on the topic of labor. Uh, we have, of course again had scheduling conflicts uh, with our other members, so that's tentatively being pushed back to next week, we'll have a better explanation and hopefully discussion on uh labor coming up to next week as well as of course uh if the results are out uh talking about the wisconsin election and then we will see what else uh, is for topics but other than that thank you everyone for joining uh to summarize Braden, uh hey those issues guess what it's (laughs) also solutions the fact that we know some of those solutions the hard part is supposedly done now. We just need to get them implemented. So uh, you know, try try to have some hopium. don't fall to doomerism. I
2: sure. appreciate that. So that's a good way to end the Gen Z report tonight, guys. And then check in next week. We'll be back next Thursday night, nine o'clock. Um, it'll be some same people and it'll be some new people. And um, we're just gonna keep the conversation flowing. So free thank drug, you
0: guys. free Trump, nobody's free, free Trump. Free Trump, fire.